0: Chapter nine of Peggy's Trial by Mary Knight Potter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett. Running away from home. Having thus impressed the boys, she easily persuaded them to go with her that very afternoon. Their first preparation was to break open their banks. Peggy took the coppers and silver pieces and tied them up into a handkerchief and put the handkerchief into the bottom of a small bag. I had two dollars and sixteen cents, she said. Ted a dollar and ninety-three cents, and Harry eighty-four cents. That is more than enough to pay our fare to Scranton because tickets are only half a dollar. On top of the money she put the pieces of luncheon the boys had saved, first done up, however, in a newspaper. Just as they were about ready to leave the house, they heard their father drive up and the door slam after him as he came hurrying in. Very quietly they slipped down the back stairs, where a whispered conversation took place in the hall. The boys wanted to go to the office to say good Peggy's own heart was very full. She would have given anything for a kiss and hug from the father she adored. But she was afraid if they went in they would never get away and then the stepmother would arrive and all the awful things she had read and heard about would commence she therefore prevailed upon the other two not to stop we'll say good-bye to him through the window she said out of the door around the porch up the piazza steps they crept and gazed through the long french window dr clayton was standing with his back to the fireplace reading a letter peggy looked till a blinding mist swept over her eyes Goodbye, bye dear daddy she said under her breath she thought to herself that if he could see the three faces peering at him so sorrowfully he would be tempted to give up the stepmother and keep his children they were a decidedly subdued trio as they passed out of the front gate and turned into a side street this led to the station and they kept along for some time without saying a word ted was on one side of peggy and harry on the other Somehow, though usually they would have scorned such a proceeding, each held one of her hands. "'Is it very long to the station?' Harry's voice had a suspicious tremor. "'Why, no,' said Peggy briskly. "'It took an awful little while to go in the buggy the other day. Seems if we must be pretty near it now.' The truth was the Perrytown station was over two miles from Dr. Clayton's house— As none of the children had ever walked there, they did not realize its distance. For a few minutes longer they walked on, no one saying anything. Then, without a word of warning, Harry suddenly dropped down onto the snow by the side of the fence and began to cry bitterly. "'I'm not going away from Father,' he sobbed. "'I don't want to go to Mrs. Baker's. I want to go home.' Peggy sat down beside him and took his hand. All her efforts to comfort and encourage him had not the slightest effect. He wanted his father, he moaned, and he didn't believe his father would let a stepmother treat him badly. Here, Teddy, who had been standing by in deep thought, swallowed hard twice. Peggy, he said slowly without looking at her, That's just what I think. I don't believe father will let anybody be mean to us you know he doesn't allow even nurse to whip us and when she puts us to bed why he blushed shamefacedly i guess we need it i've been thinking we aren't always very nice to nurse peggy stood up and stared at them both with a mixture of dread and anger in her eyes do you mean you aren't going with me after all at that harry began to cry harder than ever "'Don't you go and leave us, Peggy. "'Let's all go home and take care of each other.' "'There was deep scorn in Peggy's voice as she answered. "'I'm not a baby if you are. "'I'm not going to be beaten and banged "'and starved by any old stepmother. "'You needn't think father will be able to prevent it either,' she added. "'Tisn't that he is mean, "'but he just can't help himself if a wicked woman makes him.' "'I don't believe,' said Teddy staunchly, "'that my father will have anything to do with a wicked woman. "'If he does marry a stepmother, I don't believe she will be so horrid.' "'Anybody would be horrid,' wailed Peggy. "'Who would come and take our own dear mother's place away from her?' "'But the boys had not the clear remembrance of their mother that Peggy had. "'Thus this side of the case did not strike them as it did her. "'Besides, home was home and father was father.' THE POSSIBLE FUTURE STEPMOTHER DID NOT SEEM HALF SO REAL AND TERRIBLE AS THE LOSS OF THESE TWO. AND ALSO THE STATION WAS A LONG WAY OFF. VERY WELL, SAID PEGGY, STERNLY AT LENGTH. YOU CAN GO BACK IF YOU WANT TO. I SHALL KEEP STRAIGHT ON. IF YOU WANT TO LEAVE ME ALONE, YOU CAN. THE BOYS BEGGED AND PLEADED WITH HER, BUT SHE RESOLUTELY REFUSED TO TURN. POOR HARRY CRIED AS IF HIS HEART WOULD BREAK AT THE THOUGHT OF LEAVING HER. Perhaps in the end both boys might have gone with her. But suddenly Teddy had a bright thought. While Peggy was diving into the bottom of the bag for the roll of money, he whispered to Harry. "'Don't worry,' he said. "'Father will bring her back, sure. She will be home this very night. See if she isn't.' "'Here,' said Peggy as she pulled out the handkerchief bundle. "'Here's your money.' neither boy would touch it you can send it to us said ted if you don't need it they were saving every penny for a camera and peggy knew it she was therefore much impressed by their generosity leaving her in the lurch seemed less heartless after that very slowly the two walked back turning many times before they reached the bend that hid them from sight BY THAT TIME THE CHEEKS OF BOTH BOYS WERE WET WITH SPLASHING TEARS, ONLY THEIR FAITH THAT THEIR FATHER WOULD COME AT ONCE AFTER PEGGY PREVENTED THEM FROM JOINING HER AGAIN. MEANWHILE PEGGY GAZED AFTER THEM TILL THE BIG LUMP IN HER THROAT GREW AND GREW, WHEN THE MOST DESPERATE STRAINING OF EYES FAILED TO SEE EVEN SO MUCH AS A BIT OF A FAMILIAR HAT OR coat tail, SHE SANK DOWN ON THE SNOW. SHE HAD KEPT VERY BRAVE AND FIRM BEFORE THEM but now the lump in her throat seemed to have a string connected with the cords of her heart. The hurt of the pull was alone enough to make a body cry. That was the excuse this small girl made to herself as she finally wiped away the last of the salt water that was all over her face. Pretty soon, beginning to feel hungry, she ate some of Harry's gingerbread. "'Oh, dear,' she said to herself in dismay as she took the last bite, I forgot to tell them not to let anyone know where I am. Somebody will be sure to come for me before I can reach the station. She remembered, however, that Nurse was to be out that afternoon. Also that the doctor usually did not come in much before tea. In that case, she would be able to get to the train before anyone started after her. Once in Scranton, she believed she would be safe. So she plodded on as fast as she could go every little while she heard a horse coming up the street each time she waited in terror lest it should be someone for her but the few sleighs that went jingling by held only strangers no one noticed the little figure in the warm ulster with the bag and muff by and by the houses got much farther apart then came an immense stretch of pasture land this was the beginning of a farm that continued for an interminable space Peggy had entirely forgotten this whole locality. The path seemed strangely wild and unfamiliar to her, and she almost feared she had lost her way. Still, she felt very sure she had not passed any other road, so she kept bravely on. By this time she was getting sadly tired. Her long tramp in the morning, combined with the deep mental strain and excitement, were making this last pilgrimage altogether too much for her strength. It was cold, too, she thought, as she hugged her muff tighter. And what a wilderness of nothing but snow! Wasn't she ever going to see a house anymore? And where, oh, where was that station? It seemed as if she must already have gone more than three times the distance. Ted and Harry, she thought, had got home long before this. Evidently they had found no one at the house. That, of course, was just what she hoped would happen yet queerly enough it made her feel very forlorn and choky you are as big a baby as the boys she said to herself in disgust have you forgotten stepmother the thought made her hasten her lagging footsteps but how tired she was she found it harder and harder work to move her feet at all suddenly she realized that the daylight was all gone The short winter twilight had commenced, and soon now it would be night. So far as she could see there was nothing ahead of her. Nothing but wide white fields, broken here and there by a clump of bare brown bushes or a few tall naked trees. There was no place to rest. She could only keep on, hoping every minute that some turn would show the railroad station. For what seemed to her more than an hour she stumbled ahead every step slower and more dragging than the one before. Presently she stopped with a frightened gasp. There was no longer even any twilight. Night had already begun. Then Peggy's brave heart failed her. For the first time she felt thoroughly frightened. She shuddered at each mound of snow and every dark shrub. All the demons and ogres and wicked sprites she had read of in fairy books seemed working on every side. She was mortally afraid to go ahead, and she was altogether too scared to go back. Just as the last bit of her strength was about gone, the road took an unexpected turn about a thick growth of trees. There on the other side was a big barn or shed. Peggy could see no house near, and there was nothing home-like or inviting in the big blank wall before her, TO THE COLD, FRIGHTENED, WORN-OUT CHILD, HOWEVER, IT WAS LIKE A VERY HAVEN OF REST AND SAFETY. IF ONLY SHE COULD GET IN. THE BIG SLIDING DOOR WAS PULLED TO AND BEYOND HER STRENGTH TO OPEN. BESIDE IT, HOWEVER, WAS A SMALL ONE, AND TO HER DELIGHT SHE FOUND IT UNFASTENED. ONCE INSIDE, THE DEEP GLOOM AND IMPENETRABLE CORNERS WERE ALMOST AS FEARSOME AS THE NIGHT WITHOUT. FOR A FEW MINUTES SHE STOOD HESITATING, NOT DARING TO MOVE gradually her eyes got slightly more used to the dim interior what was that great big black thing over in the corner opposite she stared and stared hardly breathing presently she gave a glad cry she knew where she was now and the deadly fear was all gone for that tall wide shape was old mr haskell's barouche peggy had ridden in it too many times not to know it now She did not stop to wonder how she had come to this barn, which was not at all on the road to the station. She only felt as if that old barouche meant home and comfort. Mr. Haskell's house must be somewhere near, she knew, but she was too tired to try to find it. In the carriage was a big buffalo robe, and under that she crawled, and in two minutes she was fast asleep. End of Chapter 9